Well, let's jump into what we're doing this morning. And let me start with these words and see where your mind goes. I have a dream. Where'd you go? That's right. That's right. You just went to Martin Luther King Jr. You may have been standing uh, right there watching him on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, 1963, as he gives that impassioned speech for racial and economic equality. Well, maybe, where would, you, where would you go if I said, give me liberty or give me death? You'd immediately go Patrick Henry. You go back to St. John's Church, Richmond, Virginia, 1775, as he makes the appeal to the Second Virginia Convention to send Virginian troops to support the revolution. 1775, just those few words, give me liberty or give me death. Or if I said, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Pearl Harbor, and I'd take you back to watching FDR before a joint session of Congress as he speaks the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor. So it just took me just a few words to get you to go back in time, link you to a larger story. When I said I have a dream, I linked you to this larger movement, this larger movement, this civil rights movement in the 1960s. And when I said, give me liberty or give me death, I just linked you to that larger story of the American Revolution. It just took me a few words to link you back to that story. It's your story. It's my story. I linked you to it. And you know, even today, people will use those symbols and they'll grab that story and they'll say something about our day. Have you seen those flags with snakes on them? These broken up snakes, do not tread on me. It harkens back to that story. And they're saying that story is our story today. It just takes an image or just a few words to link you to a larger story. Immediately, there you are back in time. Well, that's exactly what Peter's going to do today. Peter's going to quote from an Old Testament prophet. And when he does, he's going to link them back to a larger story. It's exactly what we're doing when we use the, just a few words from a famous moment in U.S. history. So we'll pick up. We're in this series we're calling the First Sermons. We're just taking a deep dive through the first sermons in the book of Acts so that we can gather, we can learn, we can hear afresh that first story, the story told of Jesus. And that maybe that will motivate us to become more like Him. That's our goal. We want to hear the story they heard so that we become like they became. They grew and they became closer to Jesus. So here we go. We'll pick up where we left off. We're going to pick up in verse 16, Acts chapter 2, verse 16. So we're already in the sermon at this point. This is the first public sermon that where Jesus is declared uh, resurrected King of the world. Verse 16, Peter says this, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men, they will see visions. Your old men, they will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Well, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. We'll stop there. What, Luke, what, what Peter does here 
is that he quotes from the Old Testament prophet, and the moment he does, he does the exact same thing that we do when we quote from a famous moment in our history. So just like I can say, I have a dream, Peter here can quote, and he's going to hearken back and link in to a larger story. And he's linking in to their story. Peter, a Jew, is linking into the Jewish story. He's linking into this larger story of Israel. And that story of Israel is founded. It's based on a foundational promise. Here it is. Genesis chapter 12. This is the promise from where it all starts. Genesis 12, 1-3, he's talking to Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, who will eventually become Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's the promise. That the God, that this God, who now reveals himself to this unknown man, Abram, In a faraway land, He will bless this man and his family, and through this man and his family, all the world will be blessed. And they will get a land. And they will be a prosperous people. That's the promise. And this promise is woven throughout the story of Israel. When Abraham has a son, Isaac, Isaac will get the same promise. And when Isaac has a son, Jacob, Jacob will get the same promise. And right down the line in the story of Israel, this promise keeps being reaffirmed. God keeps coming saying, I will bless you. This is woven in the story of Israel. It is who they are. They are the chosen people. They are the people God will bless. They are the people that will receive the land. They are the people God will never let go of. They are the people through which the world will be blessed. No matter how much they rebel, no matter how much they run away, no matter what judgment comes on them, God will never let go of them. He will bless them, and through them they will bless the world. This is the promise. This is woven into their story. Just like liberty is woven into the American story. But just like liberty is woven into the American story, it kind of takes on new dimensions as the history develops. And what happens in the story of Israel is that promise first given to Abraham will develop over time and God will fill it out with more details. Because we really don't know exactly how God's going to bless Israel. How God through Israel will bless the world. But over time, God will speak through His prophets. And He will give glimpses of exactly what's coming. And so through the prophets, we get this greater vision of how this foundational promise in Genesis 12, this promise to Abraham, how it will fill out. And that's very important for how the story will develop. Because those are the, those are the things that Israel will hold on to. They grab that original promise and then they throw on top of it All of the details that God reveals to His prophets. I just want you to take a look at how the details develop over time. So we'll just take a look at some of those major prophets. We'll take a look at Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. All of them. All of them give some of the details of this grand vision of the blessing that will come to the people of Israel and then the world. Here it is. Let's pick up Isaiah 44, 1-3. God speaking to the prophet, to His people. He says this, Now listen, Jacob. My servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. 
He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Well, do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom, uh, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. Blessing. Spirit. Ah, filling, the deta- filling out the details. Take a look. Ezekiel. We'll take a look at Ezekiel 36, 26-27. God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from, your heart, uh, from, from you your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'm taking out the old, I'm putting in new, and part of the new will be a new spirit. Part of the blessing that will come to the people of Abraham will be the removal of an old heart and the uh, infusion of a new spirit. A heart that beats new, alive to God. That's what it looks like to be blessed because you're a part of the family of Abraham. And somehow through that, there would be a blessing to the world. This is all woven into the story. Then let's take a look, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here's the promise. Here's the problem, promise of Abraham. Those few words in Genesis 12, they make their way through the story of Israel and they get filled out. The details get put around that promise so that the prophets speak of a new spirit, a new heart, a transformation where God does a new thing among His people. So if we had to summarize those three prophets, here's how I'd do it. Here's how I'd pro- uh, summarize that. That God would bless His people. By pouring out His Spirit on them and by transforming them from the inside out, giving them a new heart. All of that is what it looks like for God to bless the people of Abraham so they bless the world. Genesis 12 is pregnant with all of those promises that then get declared. They get made known here in the major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. But not just in the big prophets does God reveal this. This is exactly what Joel was promising. You see, in the book of Joel, we see a people under God's judgment that God says, repent. He says this to His people. And He says, if you'll come back, I will restore everything that was taken away from you. But not only will I restore everything that's been taken from you, I'm also going to give you the pieces of the promise. The promise that I was giving Abraham in Genesis 12. The promise I've revealed in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. I'm going to say it again to you, Israel. And this is where Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 show up. The very verses that Peter will quote in the first sermon ever declared, declaring Jesus as Lord. Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. For your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. 
And so Israel was always holding on to a promise that no matter how bad it got, our God will never let go. He will do a new thing. He promised our father Abraham that he would bless us, give us the land, and that we would bless the world. He had a global vision all the way back in Genesis 12. And then as that promise develops and works its way through the story of Israel, it it comes into new details as God gives this new vision to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then again says it in Joel chapter 2 that God's going to give a new spirit, a new heart. Something new is going to happen in those days. So you can imagine that in the first century as the Jews are living under the oppression of Rome, as the city is filled with people from all over the Roman Empire, people that have experienced all kinds of violence and oppression, some though have had made, had made a good living by, by aligning themselves with this empire. But as they fill into the temple court, as they look around, They wonder, when will the day come when God will finally remove our enemies and we will worship the true God here in this temple, this city, and God releases His Spirit over the world? You can imagine how they yearned for this. They yearned for the day when all those promises would come true in their day. That was a moment that was full of hope. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't see what was happening Peter, you remember, we just read it, says all of that stuff, all the promises, all the hope, all the yearning, all the, all the promise to give a new spirit, all of it was happening right now. That's what Peter says. All the manifestation of the Spirit that's happening, all the wind and the tongues of fire, all the speaking in different languages, all of that reveals that when Joel talks about those days, those days are now these days. It is happening. But they couldn't see. They couldn't see. Many of them listening to Peter right there in that moment, they couldn't see what he was saying. They had a hard time envisioning that this was the day God had promised. You know why? Because when they looked out and they looked around, they didn't see the fulfillment of a promise. They saw a Roman soldier there. And they saw a Roman soldier there. And they saw a Roman soldier there. That didn't look like the pouring out of of His Spirit. It didn't look like the rescue of His people. It didn't look like deliverance. It looked like oppression. 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 That's all they could see. In the center of their line of sight, was not the move of God in that moment. In the center of their line of sight was a Roman soldier here, a corrupt official there, a person being beat there. None of that looked like the fulfillment of God's promise. So here's how we summarize what we're, where we sit in this moment of the story right here. The Jews listening to Peter struggled to understand because in the center of their line of sight were, the Roman, were their Roman enemies. Everywhere they looked, they saw signs of their oppression. Yet, Peter tells them, Peter tells them, don't look at the soldier there, there, or there. Look at Jesus. It's interesting that in Acts 2, there's no slide here, in Acts 2, right after he finishes quoting Joel 2, after he says that this, that what we're experiencing right now, this, is what Joel was talking about. This is the moment all things are being fulfilled. This is happening right now. That moment, right after he declares that all the promises are being fulfilled, 
the next thing he does, the next rhetorical move, is to point to Jesus. The next thing he does, right after verse 21, fellow Israelites, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't talk about the end times. He doesn't talk about the land. He doesn't talk about the temple. He doesn't talk about the Roman soldier. He doesn't talk about Pilate. The next thing he says is Jesus. What that tells us is that for Peter, the fulfillment of all the promises are wrapped up in this Jesus. So if you want to see God's deliverance, you don't look for the Roman soldiers to be removed from the temple. You look at Jesus. You don't look for that oppression, the beating happening over in the corner to go away magically. You look at Jesus. And you know through Jesus, all things will be made right. All the promises of the story are, coming, are being fulfilled now in this man, this Jesus of Nazareth. He tells them to look nowhere else but Jesus. Jesus is the center of Israel's story. This is a hard leap for many of them. Because for many of them, all they can see is the oppression, the Roman soldiers, the corruption. But Peter says, stop looking there and look over here. And you know, as these early Christians, as they grow and as they dive back into the story of Israel, and as they now reconsider their story in light of this Jesus you know what happens? Most of them, well, they're seeing exactly what Peter's seeing in this moment, that all those promises, they're being fulfilled in Jesus. He points them to Jesus. Paul says it really well. He says it concisely when he writes his letter to the, to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at how Paul says everything. What I just said, he'll just say it in a few words. You may want Paul as your preacher. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 1.20, just the first part. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Yes in Christ. The promise that we will finally be delivered. The promise that we will have a new spirit. The promise of a new heart. Where do you find all of those promises fulfilled? They are yes in Jesus. That's, that's where it is. Jesus is the center of the story. As Peter links to the larger story of Israel, right after that moment, he says, now put Jesus right at the center. And you know what's going to happen one day when this, this old world gets wrapped up and we're tied into the larger story of the new creation? Do you know who will sit at the center of the story? Jesus. Jesus. The Apostle Paul, as he was isolated on an island, he had a vision God gave them, and eventually he wrote it down. We call that the book of Revelation. And in that book, he has this vision of the end as all things are wrapping up. And he says it this way. Here's what he says, Revelation 5, 3 through 10. And Revelation goes through cycles. The whole book has a series of cycles. Here's where we start. Revelation 5, 3 through 10. He writes this, But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept, this is John, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scrolls or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not we see the lion of the tribe of Judah? The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain, standing at the center 
of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. When the story wraps up and we move into that larger story of the new creation, Jesus is at the center. Everything, every promise made is yes in Christ. We will be singing of Him in the end. We'll be talking about Him in the end. And it will be full and rich and we'll never come to an end of talking about it. If they have created a way of talking about the NFL all the time on Sports Talk Radio, then we will have plenty to talk about the most important, most brilliant, and the coolest person that's ever lived, Jesus. If they can do it with sports, trust me, we'll be able to do it forever and ever and ever with Jesus. This is what we're looking forward to. So let's make some application. Let's bring that down then to some application. The application for us is that Jesus is still the center of the world. That hasn't changed. Now, maybe you don't have him at the center of the world. Maybe I haven't put him at the center. But he is at the center. That's like thinking that you can change 2 plus 2 equals 4. It doesn't matter how much you think 2 plus 2 equals 5. It will not work. It won't work when you're balancing your checkbook. It won't work when you go get a loan. You can give whatever math you want to the loan officer. If it doesn't match reality, you don't get a loan. And it doesn't matter how much you think that gravity doesn't exist. The moment you jump off a high building, you die. And reality wins. That's the way that works. And the same goes for Jesus. That's just reality. That's knowledge about the way things really work. Jesus still sits at the center. So that means that you and I have to put Him at the center, at the center of our line of sight. Jesus. You know what it's like trying to live without Jesus at the center of your line of sight? It's like taking a circular saw and trying to play baseball. Now, you could use a circular saw for baseball. You just Maybe you could shorten your bat. Like maybe that could work. Maybe you cut up the baseball. Maybe you take a, a, a base and you throw it through your saw. I don't know. But I'll tell you, it won't work for hitting. And it won't work for getting around the bases. You can't use a circular saw for playing baseball. Because the circular saw wasn't built to play baseball. You were not built for anything else but to be directly in contact with your Creator. That means that when we have Jesus out of line, when we have Him off to the margins, life doesn't always work. So here's the goal. The goal is to put Jesus right at the center of our line of sight. But here's what happens. It happens that it was happening with the Jews in their day. Things block our vision. Let me just give some examples. I'm just really just taking... I mean, I'm just as a grab bag. This could go on for hours. You just come up with examples after examples. But here's just a few. Lust is one. I know that. Lust is that desire, that passion that drives you so that you get what you want. Don't just make this sexual. This can be lust for many things. This could be just a drive to get what you want. And you know when you put what you want at the center of everything, you'll become lonely and hollow. Because in the end, you will eat up all the resources you have. You will give away your power to a God that will never give back. That's what happens. So if lust sits in the center of our line of sight, ultimately we end up less less human. Maybe illness. 
Maybe illness. Maybe illness consumes us. Maybe it's the cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's some type of chronic pain. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's the fear of something, some greater sickness. It doesn't matter what it is, but if the illness sits at the center of your line of sight, what will emerge is fear. Fear and loathing and probably some despair. You see what happens when you make that the center? When you put sickness at the center of your line of sight, everything else goes off kilter. One reason why there's a lot of fear and people are dictated by fear in our world is because they have put illness at the center. And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about the fear of, of any sickness, any, any uh, malady that would ravage our body. You know how many studies come out every year telling you how or how you don't get cancer? Because we dread the disease. Now, rightly so. No one wants cancer. At least I don't think so. But there's no magic formula to not get cancer. There's no magic formula to never get sick. You could dress up in a hazmat suit and you're probably going to get sick. So we must be very careful not to put illness at the center of our line of sight. Same thing goes for politics. You put politics at the center of your line of sight, you'll become eventually quite delusion, uh, delusional, delusional and disillusioned. I guess those two fit. You see what happens. So let me suggest the alternative. The alternative is that we... We'll go to that next slide. The alternative is not that we ignore them or we, we think they don't exist. Listen, lust exists in our world. You're not going to get rid of that. You think you can just snap your fingers and it go away. If that's how it worked, I wouldn't be your preacher. Now, I'd come here. I'd be part of your church. But I'd be making billions of dollars selling my secrets. That's what would be happening. There's no magic formula for getting rid of lust. So we don't act like it, it, does, it goes away. Politics will always be with us. And I think we should be responsible citizens. I think we should be engaged. I'm not saying leave the political fear. Nor do I think that we should just be flippant about illness. No, we take precautions. None of these things are going away. But they don't become the center of our line of sight. We see through them. And we see Jesus on the other side. You see that? You never let cancer be the thing that defines you. Don't let COVID define you. Don't let your political party define you. Don't let your country define you. Don't let your struggle with lust define you. It's exactly what Paul writes in one of my favorite passages of all the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16-18. through 18. Take what we just saw, and I want to now put words on top of the image. Paul writes this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though... Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary struggles. They're achieving for us an eternal weight that far of glory, of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That is Paul's call to see through the illness, see through the temptation, see through the politics, see through whatever else would be in front of your line of sight, and you see Jesus. Because in the end, you won't be singing about your cancer. You won't be talking about the Republican or Democratic Party. You won't be doing that in the end. You'll be talking about Jesus and His infinitely valuable life, full of interesting things that we've never even considered. That's where we're going. So we have a vision of our future. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. Don't let the temporary define you. See through them. Well, it wouldn't be any surprise then that this next step is going to be draw, tied in 
to that last slide. Here it is. This is our next step for this week. Look through your difficult circumstances and see Jesus on the other side. That's what we do. Now listen, again, no magic formula here. I understand that it's really easy to stand here feeling healthy, to tell you in a difficult circumstance to just see through it, right? And maybe if I was good enough, I'd then tell you to write a check, a check of faith, to just confirm all of that, uh, you know, all of that hope you have. And I'd really milk that thing if this was that easy. I know that it's easy to stand up here and say all of these things and, and, to, and to motivate us to some type of inspirational message. What I want to do is take that next step and get it right on the ground. Right where you live. Yeah, there's no magic formula for seeing through our difficult circumstances so that we can see Jesus on the other side. But what you and I can do is we can constantly put in front of us reminders of Jesus. That means that reading the Bible, this isn't something you do because that's what you're supposed to do. The Bible gives you a vision of your life beyond this age and sees into the age to come. We need help seeing a vision of where we're going because we can be so short-sighted. So reading the Bible is a training in righteousness, in becoming the right kind of people as we get tied into a glorious future. It gives us eyes to see what we can't see here. That's why we read the Bible. Not because it's some magic formula to get you into heaven. Or maybe, maybe you take a sticky note. You write a favorite verse and you just put it on your refrigerator. Maybe you put a reminder on your phone or maybe you have a good friend and you tell that good friend, I need you this week to just remind me that there is something beyond the difficult circumstance. You see, the goal is to put concrete reminders in front of you. You know, people used to do this with DVR. I don't know if you still have DVRs. Do you have DVRs? We never had one. We were never that high. We were never that high class um, like some of you. We, we just, if you miss the show, you miss the show. That's what you get. Or you got to buy the season when it comes on DVD. But you know what you do with DVR? And some of you used to do this with VCRs. I remember doing it with a VCR. You would go in and set the time to start recording. Now, on a VCR, that was like an act of Congress to figure out how to do that. And sometimes you recorded the wrong show because you set it at the wrong time in the wrong place. But what would you do? You would set a reminder so that you didn't miss the thing you really wanted. This next step is all about that same principle of the BBR or the VCR. Put in front of you reminders. Make it a priority to put in front of your line of sight that there is something coming that is well beyond your cancer or your illness or your political preference or what you think or don't think is happening to this country or world. Put in front of you the vision of what is beyond. And I'm telling you, when you have Jesus in your line of sight, things start working. Doesn't take away your sickness, but it allows you hope that you wouldn't have otherwise. And hope is a powerful drug that can get you through anything. So put Jesus there. Practical things in your life so that you can see Jesus on the other side. That's what's happening in Acts 2. That's the larger story. That's the story we're going to keep digging on in the weeks to come. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for a vision of Jesus. A vision even beyond what we see right now. So give us, give us the strength through your spirit that has given us a new heart. May he empower us to see through every difficulty so that we can see your son Jesus in all of his glory and all of his, uh, his magnificence.
also all the things that make it interesting. It was the vision of where we're going. Put them in the center of our lives. So we pray that in the name of Jesus. Together we